0: This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content.
1: I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities, and so much more. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, reprobates. Did y'all survive Christmas okay? Are you ready for a new year? I know I am. Uh, This was quite a year for me, in mostly good ways. I I published my first book, Asian American Apostate, Losing Religion and Finding Myself at an Evangelical University back in April. uh, I was a guest on 10 or 12 podcasts. It's always fun. I got to meet fellow Dauntless podcasters in real life, like Nate and Gail, Jessica Goforth, while I was in New York for Nate and Gail's wedding, or actually that was New Jersey where the wedding was. I hung out with other podcasters and Instagram folks in the deconstruction world, and I even got to help Bradley Onishi start our company Axis Mundi, which is a whole new podcast production company, bringing academic research, on the dangers of white nationalist christianity to the world <laughs> uh, it's kind of grim but we make it kind of sexy it's uh yeah i do all the original music editing whatever needs to be done uh and then here i recorded 40 episodes of chapel probation from april until now that's eight months solid didn't take a break and all of you listening well You've grown steadily all year. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the Spotify wrapped, I feel like it's bragging or whatever, but Spotify is really only 30% of you. So you're all listening on Apple and, um, I forget all the other ones, Google, but there are a lot of you out there listening in your cars, listening on the sidelines of your kids' sports games, uh, running in Atlanta. What's up, Holly, uh, all over the place. So thank you all for tuning in and bearing witness to these powerful stories. There are are many, many cool plans taking shape for 2024 with some collaborations with other podcasters. Uh, We have the content warning sexuality event in February and hopefully more travels for me to bring me to see some of you. So you want me to come to your neck of the woods? I would love to. Let's plan some things. So today, uh, like right around the time my book was was released back in April, I was asked to be on a YouTube show, which is new for me. I'm more of a face for podcasting, I think. Um, I have a really nice ass, but you can't really show that on YouTube. So, yeah. Anyway, I was asked to be on a show called The Harmonic Atheist. And the host Tim Mills was awesome. And my book sales had a nice little spike during that week. So I'm really glad to have Tim on today to tell his story, which is, it's amazing. Um, his story of going from the hardest of hardcore fundamentalists to an atheist with a growing YouTube presence, all dedicated to people who have come out of faith again this season's accidental theme has been this kind of story. Tim did everything. Well, you'll hear. Now these stories, and, and particularly this one, kind of heartbreaking when you see how sincere and deeply held this faith was for, for people like Tim. But it's also inspiring because people like Tim and me and so many of you are living lives we never thought possible while we were in Christianity. And Tim's story? I'll stop talking. Take a listen.
2: Hey, I'm Tim, Tim Mills, um, also known as the Harmonic Atheist on YouTube, and my pronouns are he, him. And I went to Bob Jones University for one year, and I also finished up at Lancaster Bible College and then after that I went on to mission school with a group called New Tribes Mission, which is a group that does tribal evangelism and church planting and Bible translation, kind of like Wycliffe. I went with New Tribes and uh, for a year and that's my education.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned homeschooling off air too. So you you have you hit like like evangelical schooling bingo.
2: Yes, exactly. Yep, I was homeschooled for, for many years and uh, my dad was a Christian school teacher, so we got a free ride through some of those years so I went to that uh through that route. But homeschooling was kind of my pride and joy cuz I got to kind of move quickly through uh through the education as
1: opposed to waiting for the other <laughs> for the class to catch up. Yeah. All the dumbasses in school. But yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh no, no offense to the any dumbasses. <laughs> um <clears throat> It's great to have you on. I, I'm a big fan of your YouTube show, and you were gracious enough to have me on around the time my book came out. And uh, I actually thank sold you. like 10 books that day. <laughs> oh, well, Okay. <laughs> um, so thank you for for, for amplifying uh, my voice and, and for the amplifying the voices of so many. It's hugely—I guess that's the theme of this podcast. All this Christian schooling, <clears throat> which is supposed to guarantee some kind of lifelong Christian faith, is um sometimes results in people like us so yeah exactly so here we are so the first so bob jones so we've had a couple of bob jones on this podcast so anyone who's listened for any amount of time knows the horror show that is bob jones (laughs) so what let's start with the homeschooling so what what was that like and and describe maybe your your christian background and your family
2: sure uh my parents are both Christians. Uh, they went to Dallas Theological Seminary. You know, that school. Ooh, yeah. Um, my dad was a Christian school teacher. My mom was a nurse. There were four of us kids. I was second of four and we were always in church. You know, the Bible was everything. It wasn't uh, just a cultural thing. It was very much a living faith that we, uh, you know, love Jesus, love the Bible and homeschooling was. Probably not as necessary in our case because my dad was a Christian school teacher, so we did have the option of going to Christian school. Um, it, that was a good experience, too. I didn't have any problems with that part of it. The reason I was homeschooled was, honestly, I just I loved to study. I was the kind of kid that um, everyone around me was wanting to kind of goof off, and I just wanted to learn and learn and learn. Um, like, if, for example, I, I've used this illustration a couple times, but if you... Like my, my mom, for example, in homeschooling would say, I want you to uh, read one chapter of the Bible a day or something for not for your devotions, but for like your your education. Yeah. I'd read three or four books worth or she'd say, read a chapter of this devotional. I'd read the whole devotional um, and to the point too, not just about Christian stuff, but even for my own personal stuff. When I was a late teen, I used to love to study word etymologies uh, and I would literally study my dictionary for hours, just a, just a raw dictionary, like a really good, you know, uh, etymology dictionary for hours and hours on end. I just loved to learn. And same thing with French. I learned French very quickly. And because of that dynamic, homeschooling was the ideal for me because it, it wasn't about protecting me per se from the world because I wouldn't have been in a secular public school anyway. It was simply that homeschooling allowed me to to move much, much faster, which was awesome. And I did. In fact, I graduated a year early, was graduated a year early because of that from high school. But um, the, there certainly was still the same methodology woven in of you know, a Becca, Bob Jones, they're very strict, you know, see everything through the grid of the Christian worldview.
1: Oof. Yeah, that's wow. That's, (laughs) Uh, that's really. I'm I'm shaking my head because I was an English professor and I didn't like reading the dictionary. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, you put me to shame, man. Thank you. That's well, <laughs> it was one of those
2: things too, where I think it it it, tra- it started. I think probably with actually my biblical love of learning with the languages, because I remember my mom when I was just a little boy, she would teach me what the Greek words meant, and so like, uh. I remember I'd be in Sunday school class as a as a, like a third or fourth grader, and I'd be telling the Sunday school teacher that the word for slave is doulos in Greek. And they were like stunned. Like you're, you're telling us Greek words as a third grader, but it was just, I loved the what to learn where words came from. And, and once I realized that English had that, it just, it, it made sense to me. For example, procrastinate, you know, it just means pro until Christina's tomorrow, until tomorrow. But once you realize how words are put together, um, and you add in background like Latin and so forth it's it just helps so so much and it just I ate that up but I think it transcended too the the idea of the theology because that's what you know we're, we're really talking about is not learning in general but learning about the Lord and the Bible yeah I would just eat it up I would you know you know what a systematic theology book is you know the huge volumes of them. I would eat those, you know, <laughs> so to speak for dinner. It just, I, I couldn't get enough because I felt like if you, if this is real, and to me it was, it wasn't like an, if it's real, it's just since it's real, since God is there, the most important thing is just to know and love him and to deepen your yeah. appreciation for him. So I just, anything I can get my hands on to, to help me to understand the Bible more, I,
1: I ate it up. And look where, look what it got you in the end. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This has been a theme. these the last few weeks of this podcast, and just purely by coincidence, there's a string of people who did their very best at faith, did everything right and then some, went above and beyond what church, you know and basic Christianity asked, asked the questions, did the things, did the missions, did did everything they could to to deepen their faith only to have it sort of backfire. And you know, go like opposite of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's ironic. All right, mm-hmm. I jumped ahead. So, so you you naturally Bob Jones seems a, a natural progression after all that. Um, yeah, it was education. it was kind of a weird story with with my
2: family. We weren't really into the strict Bob Jones type world. There was, I think, my mom when I was growing up. I think she had a a, a tendency to kind of wish we had been that kind of family. But we weren't quite there. Like she she would see families where they would be ultra modest, you know, and they would teach the girls to, to even sew their own clothes, which would, of course, go right up to your neck and so forth, down to your ankles. And it was kind of like this ideal of if we could have been a better Christian family, we would be really <laughs> ultra modest and we'd be ultra yeah. fundamentalist. But I think there was some, some dynamic, perhaps. Uh, I don't know if it was accidental or intentional, but it, our family just didn't ever – really go down that rabbit hole dramatically you know in terms of our strict family we went there of course as as uh, students to bob jones but yeah. we never got into the depths of the huge legalism i think part of that was just certain churches we attended i know my dad was always kind of leaning towards the same thing where he 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 didn't focus as much on the ultra modesty wishes for the girls but he I, I would sense sometimes that he would go to these churches, uh, like ultra conservative fundamentalist independent Baptist churches on Sunday nights by himself. And I went once or twice with him. And I mean, these guys were preaching it up like fire and brimstone, hell, and just everything you could imagine. The rapture's coming and everyone's going to burn. Very intense, pounding the pulpit. And my dad liked that. He really liked it. And he felt like everybody else was kind of selling the message short by not preaching heavily like that. But we never really dove into it, but Bob Jones came into it because, uh, I was ready to go to school early, to college early. I'd finished my, my, uh, un, my time in high school early and Bob Jones, I had a bunch of friends going there. I didn't really know exactly how strict it was at the time. I honestly did not they know what I was getting you? into. They didn't warn me. I didn't know everything else, but what, what was cool about it was I loved French. I loved foreign languages and I loved French. I had. Far advanced all of my co-French students in high school, and when I was speaking with the uh, admissions counselors there at Bob Jones to get in, we talked about the French part of it and the language part of it, and they said, "Why don't you just why don't you test and see where you'll land? Because we'll do a test and see you know where you should be placed." And I was able to test right into grad level French, which was you know basically you know skipping all the undergrad French classes, yeah, which was awesome. And to me, it was just like you you know, there's this context of God is doing great things to kind of pave the way. He's making the path clear in front of you. He's opening doors. He's leading and guiding you. And I just kind of sensed all these wonderful things were leading me there. And I also had an older brother who who he had been just going to community college. He needed to finish up somewhere. So he ended up going the exact same year. So we went together. He was much, much, much more liberal in terms of his way of living. Like he he would never read a systematic theology book for any reason. Um but he needed to finish somewhere and he had some friends also go in there. So we both went there at the same time and it was a very strange experience which I can go into, but if you want to I'll give you yeah. a chance to jump with any questions here.
1: No, no. Um because I kind of know where this is going, having having talked to people at Bob Jones. So yeah. Uh, well, mine I was actually for your brother. Like that must have been hell.
2: Yeah well I was going to say it was it was The way you'd expect the story to go is how it went for my brother. It's not for me. Mine was actually reverse of what you'd expect. Mm. Um, What happened was my brother, he just went through the motions as little as possible. You know, he just, it was all facade. He he didn't really um, care for any of that stuff. The whole spiritual fervor. I would, you know, I was in the preacher boys class. I was on fire for, you know, for eternity and for the kingdom. Yeah. he Um, He was just getting some classes under his belt, but, I could tell he was like trying to bend the rules as much as possible. And I was not. I was yeah. not at all. I was you know, I was trying to do, do the do what I thought was the right thing. But what it was an interesting shift for me the first semester, I kind of didn't enjoy all the rules. I felt like it was a bit stifling. Yeah. And something happened, it's very strange, but something happened around the end, not not like an actual event, but just something mentally in yeah. my mind happened towards the end of my first semester. I became convicted that the rules were actually extremely godly and that the people who put them there had thought through it very well and that this was an issue of, in a sense, my willingness to bend my knee not to them but to God. And that shift ended up bringing me immense freedom actually at the time. Um the other mm. side thing that was really cool besides you know the, the great classes there with you know if you're a preacher, want to be a preacher boy they're going to you know give you exactly what you're looking for and yeah. give you what you paid for but they had an art gallery which I was able to be a guard at I worked there I guarded Rembrandt's and other you know baroque paintings and it was often very quiet so I'd spend hours just kind of slowly quietly pacing the halls of this art gallery And I just couldn't get enough of that. I mean, that was just like – that was me on – for an introvert that, you know, the the only thing that could have been better is if there was a big – I could have sat down and stopped work and just sit on a sofa and read books for a while. Yeah. But I ate it up. I loved it. This is where the the story for me turned. My brother got caught. You're supposed to, like, sign in and sign out and so forth. And there was some big party. And some people had forged their parents' signatures. My brother got caught up in that. I don't think he did anything necessarily wrong, but in the end he ended up getting, getting booted as as they do them. They'll beat you for a lot less than that. But the way that Bob Jones did it and, and and, you know, the people that they talked to about it, they talked to, you know, the pastors way back in our home, which wasn't, you know, they didn't really, they should have had permission first to, to, to talk to the pastors about what had happened. And they just kind of like blurted this to, to all the churches. And again, this is, you know, 25 years ago, but, that dynamic of how Bob Jones treated my brother's situation ended up putting a really bad taste in my parents' mouth about Bob Jones, and so they basically said, "Tim, we know you now like it. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> we know you love Bob Jones, yeah. but we're going to ask you to pick a different school to finish. We, we don't want to oh, be associated with Bob so Jones." So, were you anymore. bummed? I was bummed like crazy. I loved Bob Jones at that point. I mean, oh, obviously shit. now I have a very different perspective. I, I was, I was like, "This is my home."
1: Yeah, and. Because when you said earlier that you went for a year, I thought, "Oh, wow!" Tim went out guns blazing and was like, "Fuck Bob <laughs> Jones," but no, you were uh, that makes that's heartbreaking. You were actually loving it and and sad. Yeah, to leave. at the time,
2: and there was a, there was a preach a, a pastor, um, locally that was also one of my teachers. His name was Doctor Mark Minick, um, but he was preaching in Sunday evening services at the church I went to uh, under him. He was preaching through Romans eight, nine, and ten, uh, talking about and eleven, talking about election. And I'd never heard preaching an election. Of course, this is a Baptist church where, you know, you'd expect lots of free will, lots of, you know, very little Calvinism. But he took a very different perspective. He was talking it up about saying, look, there are passages that say, whoever wants to come may come. Whoever wants to enter the kingdom can enter the kingdom. There's passages that say, you only come if God called you. And his take on that was, If there's a passage that says the one side, I'm going to preach it like it stands. If there's a passage that says the other, I'm going to preach that like it stands. You need to hear both because both are in the scripture. And that dynamic, even though I was kind of new to election for the most part, that dynamic of saying, are you willing to completely bow your knee and total submission to the teaching and the will of God on any topic, any topic. And I remember there was this one guy who was a friend of mine in the dorm. This huge, I mean, huge guy, really big. He probably was a football player. Massive guy, the kind of guy that you just would see never crying. He happened to attend the same church with me, and he was sitting there in the pew crying, and he went forward with the altar call. The altar call that night was was not the one that I'm thinking about was not to accept Christ. It was to say, will you accept that the Bible teaches that God does elect people? And the preacher was just saying, you need to bow your knee to whatever the Bible says. It doesn't matter how hard it is to swallow it. You need to do what God says and believe it. And I would see these grown men crying. And I was like, wow. Like, and I just felt like my heart was was crushed in a good sense to say this is a place where I learned to let go of my thoughts and I let God take over. And at the time, again, it was a great experience. Um I certainly would have wished for the dating experiences to be better you know you could can can't really date there and so forth but academically right. wise um art wise it was a great experience but what happened next was was really a wild trip for me though because because i had gotten in such a conservative mindset unfortunately and so legalistic when i went to lancaster bible college which is in pennsylvania uh, not too far from harrisburg that school even though it's very conservative still and they'd argue that they're very very conservative To me, they were ultra-liberal compared to Bob Jones. So, to me, it was was total. Like, I went into the dorm, you know, moved into the dorm, and they've got – some of the other students had posters up of the Beatles. And I was (gasps) like, what the hell is this? Was
1: was music coming out of the the dorms and out of of the windows with with the backbeat? It probably was, yeah. It was like – but, you know, I'm used to like – Justin, fighting Satan in to – Exactly, I'm used to organ music at this
2: point. I'm used to only hymns, and you know, you know, even even liberal worship songs were kind of like that. You know, there's so the theology so therapy and, and and invertebrate. I'm like, I don't want yeah. that. I want the meat of the of the songs. And these guys yeah. are playing not just just worship songs, like you know, modern day worship songs. They're they're yeah. playing the Beatles, and I couldn't stand it. Honestly, I was there yeah. probably the first month at LBC. I was cringing inside, saying, "I can't take this. This is these people are not like serious about the Lord." It, that's how far gone I was. Yeah, I, I feel like Bob Jones kind of broke you. They did, like, and I think for certain personalities, they're very good at that. If you, if you're already geared up to, I'm not going to college to get a degree. I'm not going to college to learn something. I'm going to college to pursue God's will. And yeah. to be on fire for the Lord to change this planet, and uh, yeah. if there's any sense that you think some of the rules are okay, yeah, you you the surrender and the brokenness is a big big message.
1: Um, do, you, how do you feel about the Beatles now? <laughs> <laughs> I love the Beatles. I especially okay. love um, so Satan won. All
2: right, yeah, I especially love the uh, the 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 song uh, you know Imagine by John Lennon. That just yeah. Mike, it's what's great is my kids love that song too.
1: Oh, so. I know. That's one of those songs where, like, when you think about it, that's, it's kind of cheesy. It's kind of, but then if, if someone is singing it beautifully, like live, oh man, tears. It's, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. The Beatles. Inge- yeah. Exactly. Awesome. They're
2: awesome. And it, I think too, it, it just, it took a while. It was one of those things where I, I learned you get used to what, you, you get used to what you're around for a while. And that, that yeah. was, Probably something I should have thought more in depth, but even there, there were rules that I disagreed with. For example, um, eventually, I, I really eased up, like crazily eased up, compared to where I was at Bob Jones. But LBC at the time still said uh, you can't go to the movie theaters and you can't—I think you um. said that you can't play playing cards, which to me I was like, ah. you know, yeah, that Bob Jones would have said the same thing, but why? Like, I, I kind of grew out of that legalism, and I started to ask even at a you know quote unquote liberal school like LBC like why why are these rules here they know they're not helping you at all and people are going to find a way around them if they really want to anyway and the people that don't want to find a way around them are are they like trust them learn to trust their instincts yeah. that they're going to make good choices for the lord but um it definitely it was a wild ride in some ways just trying to think through it all and adjust
1: yeah all right well let me let me try this cards playing cards you're playing poker you're dealt three sixes what do you do you're like, I got three I will sixes. Admit- oh, no, no, you're not going to play that hand because that's Satan will come in. So, you you <laughs> got you got to you got to ask for more cards. <laughs> exactly. I will admit, I I don't know.
2: I, poker was not one of my games. Um, I was more just the uh, you know regular games that you play, would play around the table with you know family and so forth. But yeah, I would love to learn poker at some point.
1: Okay. Well, there's YouTube videos. Yeah. Exactly. Um, for for. The- it's a it, there's a whole wide world of sin available to you now. Um, yeah.
2: Um, the weird one weird thing I had about LBC. Yeah. And this is not about a, this is not about LBC per se. This is just about the randomness of who you get as your um, who you get as your roommate. But I was in the, oh. in the guy's dorm. I got a roommate, and this is this is the honest truth. I I walked in the door, and he'd already moved in. You know, a day or two later. And I said, Hey, how you doing? And I'm your roommate. I'm I'm Tim. And he goes, Hi, I'm Evan. I'm from hell. I'm like, what? I thought it was, you know, kidding or something. He starts explaining in great detail how he's climbing up through the he had had to climb up through the tubes from hell and it was really hard. Yeah. And he's sitting there sharpening a knife, like a, a knife you go hunting with, sharpening <laughs> a knife with a candle gone. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, and this is, you know, I've already seen the <laughs> Beatles post. I'm like, what? The hell, if I walked into here, <laughs> I was the, just fine at Bob Jones. This guy's sharpening his knife. Tell me he's from oh hell. And I'm like, really, like, where are you from? Like, I'm from. I'm, I'm telling him, like, I'm from right outside Philadelphia, yeah, right ple- near the airport.
1: Please connect on a human level.
2: <laughs> yes, but he wouldn't do it. He's like, no, seriously, I'm from hell. And I mean, he would spend what the f- hours a week just sharpening his knife. So he um, he believed it. I don't know if he, he believed it or he was just, I he think was just he just liked to, being weird. Yeah. Play. I think he really liked kind of okay. making people think that he, like he was conniving in some way and he had oh. some kind of upper hand, but yeah. in the end, he literally, uh, he threw me into a wall for something very frivolous and ended up, oh, ended up switching to a different roommate, but it was, yeah. that was an interesting experience.
1: Good call. Yeah. That's wow. Okay. That's a lot to unpack in that 20 minute segment. <laughs> Uh, like, for starters, we've all heard of the metaphoric roommate from hell. (laughs) Tim got to really experience it for reals. Um, yeah, I I got nothing. Wow. Is it me or does Christianity just kind of attract some rather, um, colorful people? Um, anyway, to me, as we go back through that, that, the idea of a preacher like his pastor, giving one of those both-sides approaches to theology on the surface seems cool, but that guy preached that the Bible says two completely contradictory things, in this case, saying there is absolute predestination and, well, there isn't because the Bible kind of says both. Have fun figuring out how to navigate that, y'all. That seems, like, irresponsible borderline cruel. And we've talked about this before, but learning Greek, well, first of all, learning Greek is always like the ultimate Christian flex. I was a worship leader, also a big flex, but really learning Greek and maybe being a church planter seem to be the pinnacle of Christian flexes. Like lay claim to either one of those things and watch a room full of Christians melt into evangelical goo. Wow, praise God, you know Greek. Or, that's so incredible, church planting. Wow. In reality, both are kind of shitty. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's always cool to learn another language. I think it helps better understand your own language. Fine. But, okay, so here I'm cutting in uh, the, the day this episode is published because it was pointed out that I mistakenly said, I errantly said, incorrectly said that nothing in the Bible was written in Greek and I meant, well, okay, a couple of things. I'm confused. Uh, I am. I was dead wrong. It's the, the new, t- most of the New Testament was apparently written in Greek. Yeah. Uh, no one spoke Greek, but it was just the educated folks of the time who could write shit down would have written it in Greek. Fine. So I, 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 that was, that was incorrect on my part. Um, <laughs> I basically misremembered a passage from Bart Ehrman's book, misquoting Jesus, which I highly recommend in which he explains why learning Greek to study the Bible, isn't such a great idea because there are so many variations in the manuscript manuscripts that we have and the ones that they used to translate the King James Bible was a particularly poor one, um, that, and we don't have anything close to original manuscripts. So this means that the ones that we have that, you know, the Christians love to state, say they study, they've gone through a historical game of telephone over hundreds, and even in some cases, thousands of years, and they've been altered and they have additions made and and some things taken out. So we don't really even know what was originally written in many cases. So learning Greek, cool. Is it useful for studying the Bible? Debatable. All yeah. right. So um at any point throughout Bob Jones and and now here uh are are you asking questions that did, did the Beatles get to you? Did did the guy from Hell start to make you like wonder about things. In terms of Christianity, yeah, yeah. Was there ever any questions that you start have, or something gnawing at you, or, or were you still a true believer at this time?
2: At that time, I was a complete true believer in every sense. Um, I would say the only thing that there there were a few things that I would say knocked me around a little bit. I wouldn't necessarily say they knocked my faith uh, to the point where they were. Gonna, I was going to deconvert over it. But I had had a severe medical issue for my entire childhood and young adult life, Um, just severe insomnia. Um, When I was – you know that – you know when you learn to take a fraction, make it into a decimal, like three-quarters equals Mm 0.75? Literally the day I learned that, the day, my insomnia started for 25, 30 years. I began doing math facts in my head like crazy, and I couldn't stop it. I would find patterns. And you – You know, at first glance, it sounds like, well, that's you know, some kind of beautiful mind. It wasn't I'm not quite that genius. I wish I were. Um, It it was just one of those, you know, mental OCD things that happened. But um, the math facts continued for about a year and I would cry myself to sleep trying to shut my brain off. Stop doing math facts. I couldn't stop. Oh, my gosh. After about a year, the math facts completely stopped. Um, But I at, at that point, something had flipped in my brain and I could not sleep again for like really well. For twenty five years, and I I, I, I was frustrated at that, and that was not per se about college. It was you know included college years, but yeah, I was frustrated because I would hear yeah. things like the Lord gives his beloved sleep. And yeah. I know there's different translations of that, but um, there's someone once said, "No, it's the Lord gives to his beloved in their sleep or while they're sleeping." But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I and my own pastor, uh, I went to a church. Um, Near Philadelphia, called the Blue Church, it was made of uh, Pennsylvania blue limestone, which turns when it turns cold, gets cold and wet, it turns blue. So they got the nickname Blue the Blue Church. Um, But I went to the Blue Church, and my pastor told me at one point, he's like, "Look, you know, sleep is part of how God blesses us. Sleep is part of God's plan, and when you can't sleep, it's part of your 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 the spirit is convicting you and saying, um, you you have sin in your heart. You need to confess this. Oh no, and I dealt with that question for years, including in college, because, you know, when you can't sleep and you need to be, you know, working part time and doing college and, and trying to have a life, it's very difficult to be on top of your game because you just can't sleep. Yeah, And, you know, I felt very guilty, like this must be this, you know, sin of, you know, looking twice at a girl or this or that. And I felt like in some ways there was like a double life going on. And I knew in my heart there wasn't a double life, but I felt like yeah, you there must be a double people. life. Yeah, like I mean, I knew I was everything. on fire. I thought I had, but I i mean, we all have that, you know, this the this, no, this, this secret thing. There things must be one think. more
1: thing I'm not doing. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. And then what's ironic, just and I don't want to make this about insomnia, but just to finish that part yeah, of the story yeah. up, I years later, um, a friend of mine in Georgia told me about a very special doctor who had apparently cured all kinds of stuff where everyone was like on the verge of needing surgery or this or that, or had given up. And she's like, this guy is so good. You got to just try. And I called him on the phone and talk, told him my story. He's like, yeah, I can fix that in one month with no medicine. And I was like, I was in a spot where I was like, I'll take the risk. Yeah, I'll sure. take the adventure. Sign I moved up. to Georgia. Oh, <laughs> Sign shit. me up. I didn't think it was going to happen. Like, I didn't think it was going to actually happen. I thought I thought it was going to get here. And he was going to say, I tried. I'm sorry. But, you know, yeah. it's more complicated because i had been to great specialists. Sure. Um, and he was what you would kind of think of as a quack doctor. But sure enough. Within one month, uh, he cured me of insomnia and no medicine whatsoever. It was crazy. It was just a, it was just a left brain, right brain thing. Whoa. But, um, you know, that, that wove through it. And I think to answer your question too, every time that a relationship, you know, I'd maybe think there was a you know, girl I want to date and it, it wouldn't pan out or something like that. I would just think, you know, God, like, where are you? Why are you not opening the doors? And then another big one on that same note was, I had felt convicted for years to be a pastor, like God was calling me to be a pastor. I was heavily under the uh, examplehood, so to speak, of John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll, Oof. Alistair Begg, and a bunch yeah. of other old-time preachers. And I thought for sure God had opened up the doors for me to be a pastor. And I became convicted in uh, at the end of my time at LBC that there were scriptures that said it should be only elders, older men who pastors you should have like your children or your flock and if you can't raise them right then why would we give you a bigger flock so you can do it with a small flock first there's a reason for that and i became very convicted that that was very unbiblical all all my co you know preacher voice guys with me were were all like i want to be a pastor in a year or two and i'm like i want to be a pastor in 25 years (laughs) so Uh i was like god why did you put this on my heart and and but yet again he opens up the doors for. There was this uh, girl who had been a missionary kid who was in one of the classes, and her parents had been very successful missionaries in a tribe where they had, you know, learned the language and culture, developed an alphabet, translated into the into uh, translated the Bible into their alphabet. Um, taught the people to read their own alphabet and then began to teach them chronolo- chronologically through the Old Testament and then got to the story of Jesus. And this huge tribe of like two or three hundred people en masse came to Christ. And it was this great success story. And th- their daughter here is you know sitting next to me in class. Her, she She got the teacher to show a video in the class one day of what her parents had done. And I was like, as soon as I saw it, my brain was like, that's it. That's it. I, there's a reason I love French and Greek and Hebrew and why I took Japanese lessons, why I took, you know, all these different classes of, of languages. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not language that I'm geared up for. God is doing this because he wants me to be a Bible translator. So ah. I felt like, again, God had opened up the doors wide open and I could go into some more detail, you know, if you want to, but basically a long story short, very long story short, Just a whole bunch of series of unfortunate events kept slamming that door shut in my face. And I basically came to a point of saying, like, God, again, not deconverting, but saying, God, what are you doing? Why do you keep opening up doors? Why do you keep putting things on my heart? And then when I finally do it, and I know it's clear you need people, you want people to be willing to step up to the plate and say, here am I, Lord, send me. I do it, and you slam the door in my face over and over and over. Like, what the hell is going on here? And those were things again that did not deconvert me, but they made me think there's something wrong with my spiritual life. Mm. I've done something wrong that God just simply cannot bless me, and that ate at me for years. It really did.
1: That's heartbreaking, man. That's because I see you. I mean, you're young. You're you're in your what early twenties at this point. And yeah at that point i was yeah early mid-20s man it's like you're you're trying so hard to do everything right more than most you know quite honestly and here you are not being rewarded for it and not being i mean it, it's a good thing in the end but that had to really suck at the time
2: it did it really did so i the the next phase of it for me was i did end up just Going more to to a secular job kind of world. I was a stockbroker for a while. Uh, I was a custom cabinet maker for a while. Eventually, Ooh. I got more into fraud fraud analysis. Became a fraud analyst for two different cr- companies, uh, just looking for the bad guys. Yeah, um, that was pretty weird in some ways to just be doing a secular <laughs> job. But I think in some ways, you know, you're going to rub shoulders with people that. You know, are Christian only a name, or yeah. they aren't Christian at all, yeah. or different yeah. religions? So you're, you're, you you know, your horizons start to expand a little bit. That again, that didn't deconvert me, but it just your your whole panorama starts to open up a little bit more, and you start to think that there's there's other ideas that I need to be familiar with.
1: Yeah, because you are in a very insular culture. Um, yeah, they're pretty heavily. far far right, the deeply fundamentalist. I mean, were, were you like? Judgmental, like some, some when your coworker is like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I went to church on Easter," and you're like,
2: "Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah." The, that that dynamic of when you walk into a room, there's there's the instant radar on in two levels: who's not saved and yeah. who's saved but isn't living for the Lord. That radar for yeah. me was ultra, all. I was just all the time. Yeah, and it wasn't like I was trying to judge people. It was that I knew that I wanted to be used by the Lord. I wanted the Lord to be able to use me for people to say as you know, we all used to say when we were Christians, like I want to shine so bright that everyone else is going to ask, what does he have that I yeah. don't have? Why is he so, oh. where's his joy coming from? I wanted that so that badly me to be too. a good influence.
1: Oh, oh, it's, it's so embarrassing now, but like, that is literally sort of what I, I, I wanted to be that Christian that people are like, wow, he, I didn't know you were a Christian. You seem so, you know, cool and happy and, <laughs> well adjusted and all the things like and i'd be like yeah you know <laughs> and it's so sad cuz you can
2: never really just look at someone else and just say i'm just glad to be your friend and yeah. i'd love to learn from you yeah. everything was analyzing people where are you with the lord it's it's very sad so many relationships that probably could have been beautiful but you just you can't you can't put them through any other grid you have to think about eternity
1: yeah in a lot of ways that was a big part of my deconstruction was because I'm a relational person and I was seduced by my friends, not sexually, but like as seeing them as whole people and, and realizing that they were adding to my life in ways that my church friends couldn't because they were so real oh. and so honest and, and just sincere about everything, not with this agenda of heaven and hell. And um, yeah. And so Yeah, when I look back, so many of my non-Christian friends were were big, were factored big in my deconstruction. All right, so let's let's head in that direction. What at what point did things start to fall apart for the for the faith part of you? Sure,
2: Uh, it's going forward a few times, a few few years, but um, I had several, um, so how how would I call it romantic heartbreaks that that truly devastated me. Um. And that was again a very big question of like why, like what is going on here? I had a girl, for example, that I, I dated for twelve months, and then we got engaged, and then wow. we were going to get married, and it was beautiful. And you know, six months to the wedding, and uh, she was down in Florida. I was here in Georgia, and she was coming up on a regular basis. I was coming down on a regular basis. Just beautiful, beautiful relationship. Uh, you know, I kept her pure. We were doing the right things for the Lord, and we were as we got close to the to the wedding time. We were going through premarital counseling here in Georgia, and really good guy, is a guy that had been a former pastor himself. And she was saying to, the, to this guy, like, "Tim treats me so good. He treats me better than my parents have ever treated me. He's such, he's so respectful, so loving." And we went through that, and th- there was one last session we went through where she's saying that she's just singing my praises. She's like, "I feel so ready to marry this guy." And <clears throat> this was back before we all had like smartphones, so. I go to work. She goes back to Florida. She, I go to work the next day, and I come home from work and you know I'm ready to call her as we usually do, you know, start talking or something. And I see an email from her, and it says, "I'm ending things immediately. Don't bother calling. I will not explain." I'm like, "We've got a month to our wedding." Oh, jeez. And little like she wouldn't pick up. Her family wouldn't pick up. Friends wouldn't pick up. Nobody would pick up. I was like, what just happened? And of course, people were. Accusing me, like, oh, I mean, you must have abused her or something. And I was like, no, I, I definitely didn't do that. um But I didn't know for a while. And I found out eventually through the grapevine that when she was going to marry me, she married someone else that day. What the fuck? So, yeah. So she was probably, uh, presumably, double dating or whatever you call it. Um, but that just crushed me. Like, God, what in the world are you doing? Like, how can you, are you not protecting my heart? Um, you know, I've, I've kept her pure even like what in the world, like where is the blessing for doing the right thing? And it just, it felt like that stuff just kept adding up. Like this doesn't make sense. Um, and it wasn't, I wasn't questioning my worldview though. Yeah. I wasn't questioning the worldview though. At that point, like I was not truly questioning God. I was just questioning like, what am I doing wrong?
1: Yeah. But I feel like all of these incidents and by the way, that's terrible. I'm so sorry that you went through. That's just heartbreaking. But I feel like all of these things didn't break anything, but it's definitely pushing and yep. creating like pressure, right? For it to just like. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: Ugh. yeah. It was, it was, it was immense pressure. It was just trying to make the pieces fit and they just wouldn't fit. Yeah. But I did end up uh, getting married um, a couple of years later to a, a girl from Montana. She came here to Georgia And we started having children, and this is where the deconversion starts to come in. We had maybe two – we've got four kids now. We had maybe two at the time or uh, two and a baby. And as good Christians do, you're teaching your kids to love the Lord, and you're doing Bible time devotions. And we're all sitting around singing songs, and I I learned quickly the kids need to be active during that. So, yeah, we would would get up and spin. Like we'd sing Jesus loves me, but spin (laughs) and dance and so forth. We'd play, and they'd love it. So one day we're singing and spinning to Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And you probably guess where I'm going with this. Yeah. I am for the fir- and I've, I've known that song my whole life. Yeah. I've got a brother, literally, I've got a brother named after that song. <laughs> um, Is he Joshua or Jericho. <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> well, it, it was my, my parents couldn't com- come up with the name. They, they couldn't figure out what the name was going to be for him as he was a baby. And my dad went out for breakfast after he was born. Uh, the baby was born, and on the way back to the hospital, bringing breakfast back to my mom with the newborn, he heard Joshua fought the battle of Jericho on the radio on Christian radio, and he felt like it was a sign from God. He's supposed to be called Joshua. Yep. So um, anyway, I'm listening to Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and I'm knowing in my head what comes next in the story. Now, you know, the song is very whitewashed, but the story, this actual story in the Bible is horrific. You know, about genocide, land theft, slavery, child bride, stoning, genital mutilation, all the above. Yeah. Horrific teachings. And I'm thinking for the, again, first time in my life, I don't know if I want to pass this on. Yeah, And of course, you, as a Christian, you can't think that. You have no. to pass it on. Yeah, There's no way.
1: There's a song on the but, radio for God's sake.
2: <laughs> exactly. So it began... I'm pure cognitive dissonance at that point, pure cognitive dissonance saying, what in the world is wrong? Why can't you be okay with this? And uh, the next, it was three years, I would say, uh, three years that I began to really just start to learn and study. And after about a year, I remember saying to my wife, uh, who's still an ultra fundamentalist, uh, conservative Christian, I remember saying to her like, look, I'm, I'm researching a lot of stuff. I don't know where this is going, and I don't want to say that I'm leaving my faith. Like I I love Jesus, but I just want to say it feels like something's changing. And I want to put it this way. I am more committed to pursuing the truth wherever it takes me Mm. than my current worldview. And I remember the response being absolute horror. Um, So I learned to kind of keep my mouth shut a little bit about where my journey had taken me and where it was taking me. But I kept on researching quietly. It was a three-year process. And you would think that some of those things would be enough, like the genocide and the, the horrific treatment of children, yeah. um, all that stuff. You'd think it was enough, but it wasn't for me in particular. I know for some people it's more than enough. For me, what got me out was the beginning of, of diving into comparative mythology, learning the Greco-Roman mystery cults, the, the pantheon of gods, learning about the ancient Mesopotamian Gods And how that wove into it, uh, Egyptian gods, Mithraism, learning, for example, things like the fact that the Canaanites uh, had many gods and that Elion was a high god, he'd been married to Asherah, and that Yahweh was just one of their lesser gods, one of their children, like, you know, like Baal. And that eventually they had merged Yahweh and uh, and there's a there's a video I'd highly recommend if I can plug it yeah that's called seeing seeing through Christianity it's mm-hmm. on YouTube seeing through Christianity uh it's it's great um Bill uh, Ger- I forget the name <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll no, try no, to We'll remember. put a link in the show notes yeah okay um but uh, yeah Bill Bill did a great job on that one and uh, he was talking about though how they had changed the story over and over like. Yahweh used to be a child of Elion and Asherah, and then eventually he got merged with Elion and became the husband of Asherah, and then Asherah got removed later. And you see other cultural influences coming in, like when you know hell, come, hell comes in, uh, when they start to get taken to Babylon and things like that, where you've got the dualism from the other religions there uh, with uh, you know. Uh, I forget the other religion of Babylon at that time, but you you get all these other religions bringing things in the syncretism. You start to realize this there's syncretism going on, mm-hmm. like really heavily going on. And once once those things started to hit, and I mean I was going down hundreds or hundreds of rabbit holes, mm-hmm. um, but once those things hit, and channels like MythVision, you know, with Derek Lambert and other similar ones, learning that this is mythology. I don't I don't know that I ever would have said early on this is heading in a bad direction I'm going to be an atheist. I think to me for the longest time atheism I would have said is just pure silliness. Mm-hmm. There's there's got to be a reason, there's something rather than nothing. Yeah. There's got to be. And there's no way that we're all just that deceived. But um oh, but the name is Bill Zercher, Zercher. I was looking for the Zing. Mm-hmm. Bill Zercher, I think. Um but thinking to myself, there's no way there's no way that that this can't be real. And what happened was literally just all that came to the forefront of my mind, as it were, kind of like when they plugged Neo into, to to teach him jujitsu in 10 seconds. It was like somebody took all this stuff I've been thinking about for three years and condensed it into a, you know, one hour. And I'm sitting at my desk, just looking at a video, probably a a video of, you know, Matt Dillahunty or one of those guys (sighs) trying to figure it all out. And I'm, I start talking to myself as you do. And I remember saying to myself, is it possible that this isn't real? I mean, it's not even possible that this could mm. be mythology. And the first thought that came to mind was, there's no way that that many people have been deceived for 2,000 plus years. There's just no way. And my immediate thought was, well, we think that all the Muslims have been deceived for all this time. I think all the, uh, all the, all the other religions, the Buddhists are all deceived. Like, why couldn't we be deceived And I just was thinking all these different thoughts very quickly. And I started saying to myself this, Tim, say it, say the words, Tim, say it. It's not real. It's never been real. And I mean, it was like a, like I was strapped into a chair in front of a fire hydrant and it just came flooding into me, into my face, in my mind. And it was, I was broken. I was tearful. I was emotionally distraught thinking, what is, what is this? The ramifications were hitting very quickly. I mean, this is all within an hour. There's probably no afterlife. What? There's no afterlife. Like I've, I'm all about heaven and the kingdom. That's all I've been living for is heaven and the kingdom. Um, Evolution might be true or at least partially true. The earth might be really, really old. The universe might be extremely old. All these things came flooding in and I sat there devastated is realizing Christianity was breaking my heart and it had broken my heart this whole time and I didn't know it. And I sat there and I thought, say it, Tim, say it. Say it wholeheartedly with your whole strength. This isn't real. There's a reason this hasn't made sense for 40 years. It's never made sense because it's not real. It's not supposed to make sense. You have a splinter in your mind you've been trying to get out. Get it out. And within that hour... The splinter was gone. I was fully deconverted at that hour. And I know people often struggle with the grief of it all. And it, I certainly yeah. did and still do yeah. uh, to this day. Uh, people say, oh, I didn't want to live forever. I did. And I still do. I do want to live forever. I know people say, well, you don't, you don't know how long forever is. And I, I go to that illustration from the Odyssey where, um, Odysseus and yeah. his men are on that island and they think they've been there for like a day or two. Yeah. And, and the goddess is like, you've been here for seven years. Yeah. He's like, no, it's just been a few days. Like God, God can take care of the whole eternity thing of how long it feels. He can, you could be there for a billion years and you make it feel like two days. Hmm. That's not a problem for, a, for an infinite God. Uh, for a god of magic and amazement and brilliance and and uh, you know the poet beyond poets, he can do this. Eternity was not my issue. I loved it and I wanted it. I still do, and I struggle with it. There's times it still gives me kind of nightmares that I I can't have that. um I still want to live forever, and I don't want to die. And I know it's going to happen, and that's going to be the end. But yeah, apart from that part of it, the grief of like, oh my gosh, this is horrible, wringing your hands for in in many, many ways, in that all this is all within that hour, in many ways, I began to almost laugh, like like this hasn't been real like what this is this has all just been play like we've just been talking to the walls this whole time. Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous and what 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 gave me immense joy was realizing, like I thought immediately, you know, you could have easily. If the chips had fallen just a little differently, you could have easily gone to your deathbed thinking this was all real and waiting to see your Lord and Savior. And you would have literally wasted your one life on this mythology. And I thought, oh my gosh, how close was I to doing that, to living my whole life for this stuff? Yeah. And within that hour, I went from thinking through it to being immensely shaken up to being overjoyed. I felt like I won the lottery because I thought mm. there's so many people around me. That will never ever even come close to escaping this. And, and the, 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 the sadness was, was less for what I'd lost and for the quick realization that the journey I took was so hard and so bizarre in some ways and so painful and required so much humility and openness to new ideas that I knew other people that were not in that frame of mind. I knew that they would never get close to this. And that broke my heart. And I thought, Damn, I won the lottery. And I know that I can't share that lottery with almost anybody that I love. And that sucks. Oh. But I'm glad I'm out. That was my journey. And um that's where that's where the <laughs> harmonic atheist uh yeah platform began, you might say.
1: Yeah. I like your framing of the 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 lottery. <laughs> um because you you said it, it took humility to get to this point, but it also takes courage. You know, I I know a lot of people yeah. You know, because I I was an English professor at an evangelical school for a long time, I got dozens of former students who have messaged me in the last ten years, and have said, "Yeah, I don't think I believe in this anymore, but I gotta keep going to church and I gotta keep keep up appearances because I'll lose everything. I'll lose my my marriage and my family, and my parents, and all my friends, and so." There are a lot of people sitting in pews on Sunday morning who see the same things that we see, but they're sticking it out because there's just too much to lose. And what they don't realize is what you just said is that there's also a ton of things to gain. And I don't know if it completely yeah. offsets it because I know, you know, you've had a hard time. You, you've been very public about how hard it's been with, with the family and the marriage and your community um it comes at a great yeah. cost for sure but I'm, I'm so glad that you see the upside too and that you're a young man you have um a, a good hopefully a good good life ahead of you and and you're doing great work so right so this season we've heard from several people who have experienced severe mental health breakdowns, I guess you would call them, as they navigated their way out of fundamentalist white nationalist Christianity. Off the top of my head, like I think of like Andrew Pledger, Tim Cooper, uh, the anonymous guest K, Kathleen Reynolds, Ryan Molkowski from last week, and many others. Um, with Through them, we've heard how traumatic it is to be in these cults. And also how traumatic it can be to get out, to, to reverse that level of indoctrination must, yeah, I can't even imagine. And yet in one hour, Tim Mills got there. I mean, it it was the culmination of a lot of things. Um, Maybe things he's still going to figure out for the rest of his life, but for sure that was one incredible hour. The stars aligned and he saw clearly a path for him going forward. But as I mentioned, it came at a great cost. So if you have made this decision to leave, the key now, as you might already know, is to make the most of it, to make all that you lose worth it. Then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season and she endures perhaps being smacked one night and then she seeks help from the church
2: there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars hill bus (laughs) and by god's grace it'll be a mountain by the time we're done you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus those are the options
0: there's nothing holy
1: about writing discrimination into the law and i am tired of communities of faith being weaponized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of
2: it.
0: Hi, I'm Nate, producer and co-host on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Let's talk about inequality. It's everywhere. Whether it's rooted in race, gender, ability, or sexuality, there's bound to be an imbalance in power, influence, representation, and access. On our show, we want to explore areas of religion, culture, and society where justice is needed in order to bring about true mutuality. I hope you'll join us for some enlightening, fun, and at times uncomfortable conversations as we envision a world where everyone can live free from systems and structures that keep us from being truly equal. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or visit our website fullmutuality.com to find a list of all the platforms we're available on. Subscribe today and we'll see you on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there.
1: Yeah. So tell me about how the Harmonic Atheist uh, started.
2: Sure. Well, I was uh, very much mesmerized by some of the great channels, like again, like myth vision doing, doing great work, interviewing scholars, uh, people who'd written books about the mythology of the new Testament and the old and, I sort of wanted to at least put my feet in the water of, of doing what they were doing, and I did interview someone uh, named David Fitzgerald who wrote uh, the book Myth- "Mything in Action," <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mything uh, <laughs> in Action. But um, great, great guy, and he was my first interview. He'd, he'd been I'd seen him before on on uh, Myth Vision, but he basically at the end of that interview and we were talking off air, so to speak. He he said like, Tim... I know I'm your first interview and you're just getting your feet wet, but you really need to do this. You need, you're, you're, you're good at this, this, you know, you're, I know you feel like it didn't go very well, but you know, it went better than you think. You know, you'll, you'll figure out the, the clumsiness stuff. You'll figure out how to do this, but you're doing a great thing by starting this. And I think you're good at it. And I think you should really do it. And this was coming from a guy I very highly respected. Yeah. And I thought, all right, I want to do it. And what happened was at that point, I kind of mentally shifted gears to think, I don't know that I want to duplicate these other channels because number one, they're doing great work. Right. Um, and I think I would in many ways just be interviewing the same exact people they're interviewing, just, you know, different topics or whatever, or repeating topics. But I began to, th- I was really impressed by the the Facebook page. And I don't know if it's a website too or a YouTube channel, but the Facebook page, Humans of New York, you mm-hmm. know that? Yeah, where the guys just, uh, whoever it is, they're interviewing people, normal people yeah. telling their story, often heartbreaking and I was very impressed with what that that group was doing, that guy was doing. And I thought, you're taking normal people and you're empowering them to say your story matters. Yeah. And that kind of has become in many ways the theme of my channel, at least so far. It, it is going to evolve in some ways. I'm working on quite a f- few projects, uh, monologues and other things, focusing on um, things like the Book of Enoch, focusing on astrotheology, focusing on – a lot of other ways that uh, you know mythology is woven into the Bible. I also want to be taking in a direction of focusing on Christian nationalism eventually and exposing cults more. Ooh, yeah, but um, it, it just kind of started there. But it's you know that's where it's. it's I would say at this point it's ninety five percent that it's just letting people who otherwise. Have a story like like we've just talked through with mine. Yeah, they have that story, but they don't feel like maybe that it's going to do much to share it. And maybe if they started a YouTube channel, they'd have you know three people watch it. Yeah, to come on a channel like mine, where there's you know it's grown enough that there's a lot of people that are going to see it, and it's going to make a big difference. That those people feel empowered, and it's amazing. I I love this illustration, but there was one lady that I interviewed way back when. This was when my channel was still pretty small, um, but she was a homeschooling mother of five. And as we were about to get started, she said, I, I know you said you want to talk for about two hours. And I, I do long-form interviews. Mm-hmm. So I, she said, I don't know if I could even fill an hour up. Mm. And we we recorded. I don't know what the actual final edit, edit length was, but we recorded for about two and a half hours. And when it was done, yeah. she said, you know what, Tim? We have just scratched the surface. Right? There is so much here. And I was like, "You're right. <laughs> we need to do a follow up." But people, you know, you realize it's like the layers of the onion illustration that we all yeah. use. Like, there's so much to unpack. Yeah. And you know, and you, you maybe you unpack your story, but then you hear someone else unpack their story. Like, oh, they just said stuff that I, you know, it brings it back to you know from your back of your memory to the front. And you're like, that's part of my story too. And then you want to you want to investigate that. And so I feel like that's where it's it's come. Um, I think a big part of mine as well is to bring a, a much more emotional side to this. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of channels, again, they're all, you know, doing great work and I re- highly respect them, especially the ones doing the work on the mythology mm-hmm. stuff, but like you talked about with people that lose a lot when you deconvert and the fact that just, even if you don't lose a lot, it just, it, Christianity breaks your heart. That's that's what this experience is about. It broke our hearts yeah. over and over and over. And the deconversion, you know, just kind of solidifies how much it broke our hearts, but when you realize this isn't just information, like, yes, it took information to deconvert me, but this is not about information. This is about people like me and you re- reclaiming our identities for the first time, saying, I've never opened my eyes before, to use that uh, matrix illustration. Mm-hmm. I've never opened my eyes before. This is a really emotional experience. There's religious trauma involved here. Mm-hmm there are ramifications both for my family, but also just my own heart of who am I? What have I been doing this whole time? What is my sexuality supposed to look like without the rules? Now those rules were never really there. They were just imposed by the culture. Um, All kinds of questions that come out of it. And I think for me, like for example, I've got a a channel I'm I'm starting that I'd love to get to develop more. It's called Harmonic Refuge. Mm. And there's a lot of others. Like there's another, I'm literally working on 30 different channels, Mm. but I want to get to the point where people realize that this should this should bring out the poet in you. Yeah. This this is about seeing the beauty and the pain. And when you're in that spot, you should start writing. and I don't mean like necessarily writing literal poetry, but like it should just bring out the poet in you. yeah, it should bring you to a point where you say, I need to dive into the depths of my own heart and my experience. I need to find the words, even if it's someone else's words that I'm borrowing, I need to find the words for what I've been through, find a way to say, what the hell happened? And how do I feel about it? And to bring the tears out and to say, it's okay to bring emotion to this. This is not just about admitting it's mythology. This is, this is about the soul, you know, quote unquote, the soul crushing experience that you went through and you you need to let the tears flow as it were either metaphorically or literally or both you need to let the tears flow and you also need to get to a point where you have to let the tears flow for what's about to happen which you alluded to which is the shit's about to hit the fan here people are going to hate you for what you're about to say yeah and so your tears are both retrospective but also prospective this is going to be painful looking back and looking forward and for many people you have to you have to develop a thick skin in a way you would have never dreamed but you you got to start now cuz it's gonna it's gonna be a rough ride and i think the channel is in many ways giving people the platform to do that and to let it out and in fact I've, I've i've got interviews where some people it's they let it out so much it's like a counseling session yeah. some people say don't publish it oh. this was too intense don't publish this please um though i've had people cry for up to 20 or 30 minutes in an in, in an interview where it's just like Oh my gosh, this is so much. Yeah. There's so much there. And not everyone's like, this. and some people are much more matter of fact, which is fine and good. But some people, it's like, this is deep stuff. And I I this is the first time in my life someone simply said, Hey, I'm your interview, I'm your interviewer. You're my interviewee. I'm gonna ask a few questions, but by and large, this is your show. Tell me your story. Yeah. You you put you tell this, let this go where you want to, and when this is all said and done, I want you to make sure you feel like you got heard, heard well and thoroughly. And when you when you give people that platform for the first time perhaps in their lives or for years, yeah. some magical things happen and stream of consciousness happens and things come out of your mouth yeah. and you're like, wow. Yeah, memories wow, pop up that just, you
1: didn't hadn't thought of. And
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's it's a place of feeling. I think it's a place that's hopefully provoking some thought yeah some healing but all in all i want it to grow for many reasons but i I really want it to grow um for that's what she said i want it to grow because i want to make a difference in this world i want to leave it better than i found it yeah i want to to look back at this and say when my time's up i helped people escape mythology and i helped protect kids from the psychological abuse of this that's another big psychological and physical i helped protect yeah yeah i i help people and that makes to me that makes every bit of it worth it and if if someone said you know how much you would have lost would you do it again i would say yes in a heartbeat
1: wow yeah man that that's that's beautiful it and and then the people who who cry a lot of those people are going through it like in real time right because when I came on your show, I had a, I'm already 15 years out, so like, I was probably the more matter of fact storyteller because you know I've had a lot of time to, to process it. And I wrote a book, and and um, yeah, I can I I can talk about it. I can get emotional, but like yeah, I get emotional when I interview someone. Like when I'm in your chair talking to someone who's never told their story, and they get emotional, I get emotional, and yeah, we we have many tears and. To your other point it's not tears necessarily of sadness and harm there's a little of that it's also just this this release of pent up emotion that we weren't allowed to have um you know at and yeah, in evangelical culture you're supposed to be smiling and happy because god everything blah 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 and if you're not then there's something wrong with your spirituality when in reality man this this world is fucked in so many ways and there's so many hard things happening and tragic things happening all the time and and the funny thing is when I was a Christian I would always say you know Jesus cried why can't why can't we be sad you know why can't we be depressed you know and Jesus didn't even have to cry he knew Lazarus was gonna he knew he he knew he was gonna bring him back to life (laughs) but his friend dies and he cries because he's human you know it's like that's that was everything to me at the end of my faith was well Jesus wasn't some kind of like glorious robots of, of God, you know, he, he, he was, he was a dude. You should watch my, uh, I, I was elected to speak in chapel at the end. Well, that was the beginning of the end for me at APU. Um, and I, to your point, I, I, the whole theme is literally look, look at the world through the eyes of a poet to understand the divine. And that was sort of my thesis. Um, hmm. got me in a ton of trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah it, it
2: for the for the part of it where you know you're talking about people's journeys, I think a lot of it too is is so many of us realize that life is never going to be the same and, and you see it where especially where people get shunned by their own parents sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think too just realizing that your 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 worldview shifts so much that you basically you know you now the people that were your people are no longer your people. You know that you now have to find a new community. Yeah. It's very painful. And to realize, in many ways, it's like you're completely powerless to do anything. And I I feel like one of the illustrations that has come to my mind is, you know, if you have somebody that is addicted to some substance, and they're just doing damage to everything and everybody, you know, they're just, they're ruining relationships. And you would just, you feel like you just want to (laughs) kind of, like you you know, grab them face to face and have a second just like, like, look, we talk, please, can I get, can I get through the the drugs or the alcohol or whatever. Can I just talk to the real you for a second? Why are you intent on, on doing on such toxicity on such horrificness? Can we please, can you please admit it's worth it to pursue a different outcome? And you realize, I'm sure for some people they can't hear you. Yep. They can't hear you. you can, you can make the plea all you want. Like you, if you, if you clean up, you'll be able to spend more time with loved ones. If you clean up your, you know, your health will be better. All the positive benefits you could list, they can't see it. They're mentally in a different spot, and to realize you're surrounded by that, as it were, you are. And we we all overuse the Matrix illustration, but it's just so good. But you know, you are, you are, you have just escaped, and the Matrix isn't real, and you can't get back. And everyone else around you is truly so plugged in and so dependent on the system, they're not ready to to be plugged in. And many of them will never be ready to, i'm sorry to be unplugged yeah. many of them will never be ready to be unplugged ever yeah and they will also ostracize you heavily for even suggesting yeah. it um realizing that that's what's happening and i think what for me what what i've realized over and over life's a lot more lonely than we all admit you're a loner <laughs> you know that the what is it that uh is it Neil Simon or whatever you're a rock you're an island whoever's saying that um it's more true than ever now. Like I feel more alone. I, I feel I feel more connected, obviously, to the atheist community, but in in some ways, I feel more alone than I've ever felt in my entire life. And that getting used to that, getting used to realizing there's people around you that see the world so differently. It's as if we're on different planets and different universes. Yeah. That loneliness bites, and when you when you see that. And, and you know, I'm saying it very generically, but you know, there's people where what that amounts to is you won't you won't be invited to Thanksgiving dinner, or if you do get invited, we're going to pray over you, like God. You know, literally, you know, you're sitting next to us. God, please help the the people that are deceived in this world to to open their eyes, and they're praying about you right next right. to you. Um, you realize that that's what's about to happen, and that loneliness when it hits is devastating. You're like, "Oh my gosh, like I am truly alone." And when you put that in the context of you don't go anywhere after you die, you're like, "Life feels very um nihilistic." Mm-hmm. And dealing with nihilism is a very big piece of this and is very painful. I embrace it in some ways because I think if you don't embrace it, you're going to end up um falling for some some right. mental scams. Yeah. I think it's it's for me it's been the best thing, but at the same time you have to live as if nihilism is it's like you have to mentally agree to it but to to my opinion be healthy but you also have to mentally kind of ignore it because if you live there too long with it like right at the front of your focus it'll depress the hell you to think that there's ultimately no meaning you know there's no transcendent meaning you know you can give it a meaning but there's no ultimate transcendent meaning to this and if you're used to the other side of that coin that'll depress the hell to you and so the loneliness kicks in um and for some people, it's just it's just too damn much. It's too damn much. And that when you add into it all the losses, like I could have had so much freedom, I could have spent decades not, you know, messed up with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, but it, but it's there. And I did lose those decades. And the trauma is gonna take another five or ten years of my life to get over. Like this thing, even when I'm out, it's still sucking the life out of me. And it hurts. It hurts a lot. And I think for people to at least have a chance to say, it's not going to make it better to tell my story in some ways, but in some ways it's going to it's going to help connect me to other people and make maybe break the loneliness a little bit. Break break the nihilism a little
1: bit. Absolutely. Um yeah, it's all about finding your people. Um not yeah. And not even just in terms of Christian versus <clears throat> atheist. Um It's a weird thing to be <clears throat> identified as something that you're not. <laughs> um and that's, and that's yeah. like the, I, I respect a lot of the intellectuals and the atheist community and, and, uh, you know, some of those channels you mentioned. Yeah, that's great. But I, th- I feel like we also need our own thing, you know, our own people and our own interests and passions that are not just pushing back at the the hegemony of, of the, re- the religions that we came out of. And so... Yeah, I hope I hope you find all of that, Tim. I I, I know things are rough right now, um, as you're in, in your family and your personal life, but yeah, there, there's there's yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of shit in the world, but there's a lot of good out there too, and there's a lot of people that you can find that that will help to find you and kind of be a balm for that existential spiral that we all sort of are just right on the edge of of going down, um, into nihilism, and so. Yeah,
2: yeah. It feels like it's become like that. What you are getting at right there is become a bit of my main uh, mantra, as it were. It just you know f- find the most beautiful things that you can in life and pursue yeah. them. And on the other side, wherever there's a lack of that, wherever there's ugliness in life, create beauty if you can. Yeah. And to me, to pursue the beauty and to create the beauty has taken over my mind in so many ways. I literally literally write uh three four five poems a day oh, hey. i write a couple of songs a week it's just like i can't the poetry i i, I sometimes as it work <laughs> back to the insomnia because I I can't sleep because I've got so much to write and so much to say and it's a in a good sense um but it's like when when you let this flow it does heal you and you realize there's there's some way that you can leave this planet better than you found it and you can be a helper. You know, there's people desperate for help and you can become one of them and I encourage anyone that's listening find a way. It's not going to be necessarily anything like my journey, but you know, you'll find a way to make your own poetry, your own songs, your own beauty and and as they say your you know, what you what you do is your story could end up becoming someone else's blueprint for survival. And that's that's an amazing thing to think about.
1: Absolutely. Damn. Yeah. Well anyway, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story and really thank you for your yeah, your YouTube channel, Harmonic Atheist. Um I know it's you, you, you read the comments after each episode and it's so many people just so grateful that it exists and the conversation that they heard and saw was affirming to them. And so yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks for coming on.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming to my channel a few a uh, few yeah, months ago. That was fun. Great to uh great to work with you. <laughs> Thanks, guy.
1: So be sure to check out the Harmonic Atheist YouTube channel. You can check out me and Brad Onishi telling our stories, along with like a couple hundred other people. There's a lot of videos, and yeah, Tim is doing great work, and I know he could use all of your support. So I'm off to wrap some presents. It's it's I'm recording this a couple of days before Christmas. Um, It's mostly weed and gift cards, so not, not too much work, but I hope you all have an amazing New Year experience, and I'll see you right here next week on January 2nd, 2024. Yep, I'm working right through this holiday madness just for you all. So have a great week.